For March 16th, 2012, it's the Overthinking Podcast, episode 198, Academy of Police. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. Back, back from a a week off from his uh, bus trip across the country. (laughs) I'm Matt Mather and I'm here with Peter Fenzel. I learned how to play the banjo and the harmonica at the rest stops where the proud people there fleeing the dust bowl uh, brought me in. (laughs) What is that thing with the, it looks like a, it looks like one of those wine openers and you put one in your mouth. It's like called a mouth harp or something. Yeah. I mean, the, the the reason that it's awkwardly named is that the pervasive, the pervasive name of, of Jews harp, right. Was popular back in the day. I actually had one of those when I was growing up. I liked using it a lot. Uh, And of course that name is unacceptable. Um, It's not, you don't want to call that thing a a Jews harp. So call like a jaw harp, a mouth harp things like that but okay. I, it's waning popularity uh kind of coincided with the uh rising unpopularity of its anti-semitic name <laughs> right. so it kind of like never had that critical mass of like energy to rename it in a good way that got people going towards like calling it like a phillips harp or something like that as far as i know i mean if if you're a professional mouth harper and you're listening to the podcast you well actually the heck out of us because that's a story i'd love to hear i would love to yeah i'd love to hear about the mouth harp uh, especially now that pete knows how to play one um from his long uh long journeys across the country long uh, bus journeys across the country wow exactly exactly wow 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 um excellent well uh in honor of the release or i'm not sure if it was released this week or last week but i saw it this week of the weinstein company's uh release of the film bully which was released unrated after they got an R rating because apparently uh, the actual speech, the literally reproduced, the you know docu- a documentary of the speech of thirteen-year-olds is not suitable for thirteen-year-olds to watch. Um, in honor of the film Bully, in honor of its release unrated, Pete, your question, <laughs> panel. <laughs> I'm a panel of one. Even though I'm a part of the largest overthinking it force in the world, I am my own army. <laughs> overthinking it. Panel of one. Um, what is your favorite NC-17 <laughs> film? Awesome. Excellent. See, so in looking up NC-17 movies, what you see is that most of the movies that receive an NC-17 rating edit themselves down to like an R. Yeah. Right, so so I, I'm I but the the movies that used to be NC seventeen and decided to become R are like a very entertaining list of movies. Everything from like Lou Diamond Phillips's Extreme Justice to like the the movie adaptation starring Sir Ben Kingsley, no less, uh, of the uh, video game Blood Rain, which was NC seventeen before it had to be edited to an R. Because mm-hmm. I mean, I, I really wish that Yuva Bull had stuck to his guns and really communicated like the full scope of the story, and I feel like he really made an artistic compromise um but and there's even predator 2 at one point was nc-17 um if you've ever seen predator 2 you'd know that one of the climactic scenes takes place like well not climactic but awesomest scenes takes place like in the dark on a subway so i don't know what else they had happening in there mm-hmm. but bill pax maybe bill paxton was just dropping trowel the whole time and they had to like they had to edit it out they had to like cut that out um i'm gonna say though my favorite example of an nc-17 movie and i know this is cheating a little bit an nc-17 movie that got edited down to an r after it received the rating has got to be the 1995 film Desperado. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
Because if you've ever seen Desperado, and I've seen Desperado at least three times, uh, you know that it is somewhat of a whimsical movie. <laughs> um, it is uh, it is fun. It is bawdy. Desperado, it is a.k.a. Brassy. El Mariachi 2, right? Yes, it, yes, exactly, exactly. A.k.a. El Mariachi 2, a.k.a. the prequel to Once Upon a Time in Mexico, yeah. which is also known as El Mariachi 3. Uh, a.k.a. like the only movie that I've ever seen where there's actually a shot that puts you in the point of view of the person that Antonio Banderas is having sex with during the course of the movie. That's like one of my like most horrifying favorite shots in all of cinema is a shot where like Antonio Banderas is looking down at you during like the sex scene with Selma Hayek. It's the most ridiculous sex scene ever. It's just absolutely over the top ridiculous. And to think that the movie was like more so Right, like, and I hope that it wasn't just that it was really gory and violent. That it like, because that would spoil its charm. If like Enrique Iglesias shows up at the end and just like guts somebody like a pig, like I don't want that to happen. I want him to be using his musical instrument, machine gun or rocket launcher or whatever it is that he has. But the idea that Desperado was at some point like too extreme and had to be rolled back to become Desperado is just something that makes me laugh and giggle inside. Uh, And and I really enjoy that prospect. Uh, Why? Why don't you come to? your senses get to, you've been out riding fences for so long uh but yeah if you if you, if you haven't seen desperado uh you really should because it's kind of the the definitive film of its very small genre i guess it's a large genre but i feel like it's kind of a genre of one as well it's like i mean there's a lot of other movies like it but there's nothing that's quite like it um, a genre, definitely a genre of one yeah a genre of one yeah, exactly an overthinking at army of one <laughs> I'm I'm part of the mightiest uh, podcast on iTunes, but I have my own forts. <laughs> I exactly. oh, oh yeah, you're on this week in tech. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Clearly, I'm on WTF with Mark Marin, right? <laughs> is, this, is, this in, is this week in tech like the big? Po- is that like the big the New York Yankees, the U.S. Steel of podcasts? Is that like the dominant podcast? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I you know, my theory for a long time was that. The tech podcast did so well because the medium was so technical. You know what I mean? You have to like – there are a lot of moving parts to a podcast. And, of course, our audience is familiar with them all because our audience are all geniuses. Well, of course. Definitely. That's why they listen to us. No, but if you listen to podcasts, you're a technically savvy person. And so tech shows would probably appeal to you. And so for a long time, like you know, this guy named Leo Laporte out of Petaluma, California, was like the, the, the king of podcasting. And he came out of TV. He came out of like tech TV, which became G4, and, uh, and out of radio before that. And he still has like a syndicated radio show, which I think probably provides his family more income than his whole podcast network, even though it is, I think, the most successful podcast network on the planet. Anyway, um, before Mark Marin and WTF, like this, these, his tech podcasts were like the, the gold standard, right? And like, um, right, right, right. you couldn't, you know, they did like a quarter million downloads of a week and uh, of the new episode. Right. Um, so, you know, you can afford a fancy studio and whatnot when you're, uh, when you're doing that kind of thing. Yeah, you could even get a, a guitar case and put a gun into it. <laughs> <laughs> and then you could go on that quest for your identity and your freedom and all that other nonsense. So, yeah. Yeah, in, in No Reservations, Anthony Bourdain, like, remade the scene in El Mariachi where he goes into the, you know, he goes into the bar and asks for the beer in the bottle. and. Oh, really? That's yeah. pretty impressive. With him, yeah, with him doing it. Um <laughs> So, okay, so let me tell you, in order to tell you my favorite NC-17 movie, uh, this is going to be kind of a long way around the barn. Um, 
you know, people who uh, people who follow what I tweet to the overthinking of Twitter and, you know, my tweets know that I have been rewatching Star Trek The Next Generation uh, from, um, you know, from the first episode uh, on Netflix. And I, you know, I'm now into season I'm now into season five. Um, I think I so far of the five seasons, my favorites are uh, in order three, five, four, two, one. Um, I actually, you know, when I was watching, I was just like dragging myself through the, um, through the first couple seasons and I fell off. Like there were big pauses in my, in my project, uh, because I was just so damn bored in the, uh, in the first couple seasons. I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry to say it. I, I hate to say it. And I was watching them while I exercised too, just to have like something, you know, going on, uh, some noise going on while I was, uh, you know, while I was exercising at home and the, the, um, uh, and then the third season came along and suddenly the show was interesting and there was conflict and there were characters that were some semblance of, you know, believable human beings. Um, anyway, so I, I was lucky enough to meet uh, someone who was involved in the production of the show uh, in various capacities. I don't want to give away who it was in case he shouldn't have said these things to me. But um, uh, I had a conversation uh, with this person uh, sometime in the last three or four months. And, uh, and I asked this person, um, you know, I started watching the third season and suddenly, like, this is the show I remember really liking, really liking when I was a kid. And... Um, uh, you know, and compared to TV, well, it's a little slow paced. It's way didactic. It's it's ham fisted. But uh, I mean, you know, compared but it's to a them, delicious honey baked ham made from a replicator. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, it's like it's still it retains those things about it which were still good from the third season on. And uh, and he said, yeah, the third season was when Gene Roddenberry left the show. Oh snap. <laughs> Oh, man. He was kind of a joyless fellow. I mean, you gotta love his vision, but he was kind of a joyless fellow. Uh, I, yeah, definitely. That is, that, is, that, is, that is sharp. That is harsh. That and is the, intense. Well, and the idea, honestly, the idea, um, I mean, you know, and Gene Roddenberry lived till 1991, but he, he wasn't involved, I guess, in the day-to-day production after, um, after the first two years. And so apparently, and this, this, uh, this person who'd been involved told me that the change that was made was now the characters could be in conflict with one another. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that before, <laughs> before then, the main characters on the show had to live in this sort of utopian paradise where they couldn't really, you know, r- really be in serious dramatic conflict with one another. And unless your principles are... Uh, you know, I can kind of go at it with each other. The um, uh, you have a series of like monster of the week episodes, you know, because you need a force from outside to provide the the um, you know yeah. impetus for the impetus for the drama. Anyway, so, so what? How does this? How does this uh, okay. involve movies that have so, too much? Um, I finally have gotten to the. I, I had gotten to the fourth season. Uh, you know, uh, cliffhanger, um, redemption. And uh, Redemption Two, right? Is that the is that the one where he's taken hostage? Which one is that? No, you're thinking of there are four lights. <laughs> exactly, um, I'm always thinking of it. There's some part of my brain that has that scene going nonstop. But you know, <laughs> you know what? Uh, right after Redemption Part Two, that is to say, Season Five, Episode Two, right after the cliffhanger is resolved, uh, that episode is Darmok, and I, you know, ooh, and ooh. Uh, I watched that one. Uh, I introduced my girlfriend to the episode Darmok, <laughs> and when Picard shouts, 
in metaphor. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, I think ever since that moment, I, every maybe 15, 20 minutes, I've been looking at her and shouting, it's a metaphor. <laughs> You know, we'll we'll see how long she remains my girlfriend. Anyway, um, so uh, the uh, the uh, the Klingon who ascends uh, spoiler alert he ascends to the leadership of the Klingon High Council becomes Chancellor of the Klingon Empire. uh, Gowron. Yeah, oh, this is the Gowron one. Okay, Gowron versus the Duras family. Yeah, Duras's Duras's son and Lursa and Betor, the uh, the evil Romulan collaborators. Um, Gowron is played by an actor named Robert O'Reilly, and uh, he he is so good uh, at like baring his fangs and like widening his eyes. Um, You know, at the end when the the kid, the little teenage son of of Duras, is defeated, and he says, "The Duras family will one day." rule the empire and Garon looks at him like licks his chops bears his teeth uh, widens his eyes and says perhaps <laughs> but not today <laughs> and yeah right you can see you can just I hope you can hear because I am a trained actor I hope you can hear the the grimace on my face as I say those words anyway I thought who is this brilliant actor I need to find out everything I can um <laughs> and this is going to lead to some sort of softcore porno that he did in like 1987. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, I, continue. <laughs> I am would I am would uh, I, I um, Robert O'Reilly, and and here's yeah. what I mean. They've ruined IMDb with the by, by putting like highlights up at the top instead of just giving you the list, which is what you want. But um. I IMDb'd Robert O'Reilly, and so in that highlight block, it says uh, he is known for a role in The Mask, uh, Star Trek Klingon, which is a video game. I'm surprised Star Trek The Next Generation didn't uh, eclipse Star Trek Klingon, the video game, in this. (laughs) Uh, Star Trek The Next Generation interactive VCR board game, a Klingon challenge. Which I have played and have owned myself. (laughs) Um, Oh, yeah? yeah, I've had, I was given that gift as a game. I was going to say he's the guy in the Klingon challenge. It, it's one of those things like Nightfall, I think it was called, where like you put the, the thing in and it's like, and you're playing the board game, and then periodically he pops up and he's like, "You have to move back three spaces and take an ISO linear chip." And he like uh-huh. mucks at the camera, and it's like him on like the Enterprise set, right, which was like not being used that day or something. And, and he's like taking the oh man, that board game is at his boss. No one would ever. Ever, 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 under any circumstances, play that board game with me ever. <laughs> and I, had, I actually just watched the video once with my little sister, who at the time was like five, <laughs> like if that, like probably like four. And we just like watched the video, and the game is really complicated and difficult to play, and like not very much fun, as far hey, as Pete, I could tell. Pete, ask, ask me to play Star Trek: The Next Generation interactive VCR board game, a Klingon challenge with you. Hey, uh, Matt, what are you doing on Friday? Uh, well, uh, I don't really have specific plans yet. Oh, really? Oh, do you want to come over? I actually have sure. some cool stuff that I was thinking of doing. I actually, um, oh, great, great. That yeah, sounds fun. I got some really cool artisanal cheese, you oh, know, and I, I picked up a really nice Argentinian uh, red wine I wanted to do to see if you wanted to test it out and see if you liked it. I'm into artisanal, artisanal cheeses and Argentine that wines. Is, that is funny. That mispronunciation is a malapropism. It's funny. I like it. <laughs> You're a funny guy. Hey, I was thinking we could play Star Trek The Next Generation DVD video board game uh, interactive. Uh, the Klingon challenge. Would you be up for it? Perhaps. 
but not this day. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. So like, that's what he's known for. Is so the, that's what he's fourth. known for. And the fourth, the fourth um, uh, item in his known for block is a movie called Whore. From 1991, directed by Ken Russell, um, uh, from a play, adapted from a play uh, by a writer named David Hines, and he, Robert O'Reilly, appears in it in the role of younger man in car. And I remember, um, actually, I remember uh, this film being released. I was 11. And there was something either like it was either a television commercial or a news item uh, about it in 1991 uh, because it was so unusual for a film to get the NC-17 rating. Um, And uh, and also uh, it was called horror. And I wasn't entirely sure what that was. I mean, I'm sure maybe I had some kind of like dictionary definition available to me, but I, you know, I didn't understand the, um, you know, the the ins and outs, as it were, of that whole, uh, you know, uh, that whole thing. So the, um, the, the my favorite NC-17 movie is whore, uh, or <laughs> as I will call it, whore. Uh, written in, um, so, uh, and the storyline is this choppy melodrama. This is the, uh, IMDb summary. This choppy melodrama investigates the life of a prostitute in pseudo documentary style. Oh, so it's like the Blair prostitute project. <laughs> yes. And it's like, I'm so scared. Oh my God. Well, there you go. I mean, it's, it's, I was looking at it cause it, the director and the star have the same last name. Uh huh. They don't appear to be related, as far as I can tell from IMDb. But like, that's a little bit suspicious that somebody would oh, put yeah. like Teresa Russell, star of horror, and uh, and sure, yeah. Ken Russell. Anyway, so yeah, so that that's a that's a heavy. And Galron was a guy in a car, you say? <laughs> yes, he was a guy. He was a younger man in 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 car and he said perhaps perhaps <laughs> but, but not this whore exactly yeah but a different one no but yeah well there you go i hope that it was a progressive movie and i hope that it showed that that women who have to go through that lifestyle suffer a lot of damage and that we they deserve our our our, our healing and our and our help and pity when it's necessary but our respect in other circumstances right absolutely and that it's yep. uh <laughs> yeah sure absolutely that, like, <laughs> i'm sure that's exactly what it does <laughs> that's, that's what that, that, yeah. That's what that film does. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. That sex work is, you know, sort of a a very complicated, uh, you know, sort of um, uh, troubling social phenomenon that involves a lot of uh, a lot of different uh, human and societal factors. Yeah. You know what that makes me think of? It makes me think of of people who are victimized, like around us, like everywhere around us. There are people who are being victimized and you might know it and not be aware of it you know what i mean like like there could be like somebody works at the gas station and somebody comes by and like yells at them and abuses them or or even like on a schoolyard right where like there's a kid who's just trying to hang out and other kids come up and say horrible things to them and like smack them around and and do all sorts of terrible things i wish some brave filmmaker (laughs) would shed light (laughs) on this shady world Uh, and i wish that someone on the podcast had seen this movie uh, and could talk about what it was like you want us to watch home alone no uh Um, the change, you filthy animal. <laughs> so I saw, I saw uh, Bully, which is not a pseudo documentary. It's actually a uh, documentary, and I got the uh, the um, 
you know, the nausea from the handheld camera to prove it. And uh, so this is a film that goes and, and follows and goes into the... I mean, depending on different levels of access, it... Uh, um, depending on different levels of access, it... Um, you know, either goes into the schools or into people's houses to interview them uh, with people who who are the victims of abuse from other kids at schools. I mean, the victims of uh, of bullying, either because they look funny or something about them, or one girl who is gay, or uh, you know, um, something something about them um, led to this. Uh, so wait, so wait, so there is a clear reason, like the movie communicates to you, the viewer, that there was like a reason that the kid was bullied, uh, right? It's, like, it's no, like, no, Hey, this never, kid is a, no. never, so, never in, never so directly, but it's kind of clear talking about them. Like, you know, I mean, look, the, the, uh, the, uh, young woman who's gay, who's getting a lot of homophobic stuff. She's getting bullied because she came out as a lesbian, right? Like that, you know, it, it, like you have to put two and two together, but it's not that hard to put two and two together or the, you know, um, uh, like there's one of these characters who, and I, you know, I, I, I don't mean to be insensitive, but he looks unusual, you know, um, and he he gets picked on, you know, sort mm-hmm. of for uh, looking and acting sort of unusual. Um, and like, actually, that's that's one where the camera follows him, like throughout his life, and uh, uh, follows him uh, throughout his whole life into schools. Wait, his whole life? Like, you see him grow old and stuff? Or no? Uh, no, no just... sorry. Like uh, through every through every aspect of his. Through every facet of his life, it ends uh, with like a 2001 Space Odyssey crazy montage where you like see the future and everything comes together. No, so like through his, his daily life, like everything that happens to him over the course of like a day. Yeah, or and something so like, like the camera goes on the school bus with him, yeah. where he's like you know uh, punched and pushed around and like stabbed with pencils, which is apparently a thing. Um, and into school where where the you know he's mistreated and the adults are are sort of inept and this is a, this is a kid who who just seems like kind of the sweetest most good natured kid when he's at at home taking care of his little sister you know taking her on a walk and like making sure she doesn't cross the street uh, you know without holding his hand um, the. Uh, you know, uh, he seems just like the sweetest kid in the world, but you know he's getting abused terribly, and it it's terrible. And then and then um, another one of these stories is a uh, is a girl, an African American young woman girl, I should say, uh, uh, who actually like took a, a a gun that her mother had in the house and like brandished it, didn't shoot anybody, but brandished it on the bus because she was being abused so much on the bus, and like you know as as the um, of course, white right sheriff uh, who eventually arrested her, like says, uh, licking his chops. Like when she took, you know, when she pulled out the gun, that's twenty-two counts of uh, kidnapping and twenty-two counts of aggravated assault, right there. Like she could go away for hundreds of years, you know. And then you pan, you pan back to the the whole like armory of shotguns and things like this that are on this guy's desk. Anyway, um, I, that are sort of on display I mean, in this guy's office. S- in this guy's- so this is like a lot. This is a lot of stuff that happens. It's bad. Yeah. So I mean- <laughs> so I mean, this is another. This is another storyline of this this girl who like who was so fed up that she actually like brandished a firearm on the. Um, and the filmmakers just like watch this happen. They just like videotape. They're like, oh yeah, pick up the gun and we'll follow you with this camera as you like hold it up in the school bus. <laughs> no, they pick her. They pick her up in juvenile detention. 
Oh, okay, fair enough. I'm like, yeah, I mean, see, I, I, I appreciate- everything. I mean, all the school buses have cameras in them now. You know what I mean? You see, you see the whole thing in the in the movie. You see the whole incident unfolding. Yeah, and if there's any reassurance for people that like we're not heading into an Orwellian hellscape, it's that the behaviors on buses don't really get any better as a result of being monitored. Right. As and far as not, I understand I mean, it's it, not even my, that, it, it, like that the clo- the the closed circuit cameras, um, but also like the documentary cameras. Which you know what I oh. mean? The like oh, we're on the bus and this stuff was still happening. Like it was very clear that these people were being. Um, uh, uh, it's it's very clear that these people were being observed on the um, on the bus. So, um, and I, I pause only to note that we are being joined uh, at the moment by our very own Mark Lee, who was a little late. He was a little held up, um, but uh, uh, at a, another obligation. But he's uh, joining the podcast. And Mark, welcome. Uh, the Federalist Papers. I don't know what the the question of the week was, but that's my answer. The Federalist Papers. <laughs> the, the those are some pretty. Those are some pretty. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, great. We'll leave that. We'll leave that. Mark, you, you're going to laugh your ass off when you hear the actual question of the week when you go back and listen to the first half of the podcast. Oh, is it, is it, is it uh, what, what guides your constitutional jurisprudence? <laughs> uh, wow. Wow. Kind of. In a, in a way. In a way. <laughs> in a way. So just very quickly, what helped me up was I was uh, playing a gig, a concert on the guitar. And the, the, the last piece, the uh, last piece of the concert was Handel's Messiah. So, um, Hallelujah, he was risen, Excellent. and I'm late. Sorry, blame Jesus for the Lord God impotent reigneth. That's that's what I thought the lyrics were actually for like 30 years. Um, uh, while I was. Uh, <laughs> a young man um, oh. returning to to the Weinstein company's bullies. So you know you see you see these you see all these awful things. These kids who are getting bullied. Uh, this one girl who got you know who got fed up. Uh, there are a couple of suicides. This girl is being is gay bashed. You know, um, and it's terrible because it's awful uh, when when children are hurt. I mean, it's awful when bad things happen to, to, to children. Um, you know, especially when they didn't provoke those bad things, but, uh, on, on, on the whole, I was, I, I have to say I was sort of unsatisfied as a, as an examination of a, of a social phenomenon, right? Like, because the film kind of stops at the level, at, at the level where they say, well, somebody should stop this. You know what I mean? And like the fact that all the 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 school administrators, for example, all the like school resource officers, the police officers who are in the schools like are are sort of inept. And like there's one who who just comes off as as being like uh, fell off the, the top of the stupid tree and hit every branch on the way down. Like it it's, um you know, and and the the mealy mouthed um, uh, temporizing. Um, you know, crap. Uh, that these that these people say. Um, uh, you know about well, we know that bullying is a is a problem worldwide, and we're not you know extra. You know the the that's probably like liability based. It's probably like some kind of risk management thing. Um, the, these people come off really as 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 villains, but I, I'm not satisfied with this this thing as a response to. As a response to these horrible things, these horrible instances of, of kids getting hurt, kids hurting other kids, like someone should stop this, you know, as though as though 
intervention by authority was what's called for. And like Pete, you, you once, you wrote, I think, in a comment on overthinking it, something that was one of the most sort of uh, wisest things I've ever heard about the current trend towards talking about uh, about bullying and like uh, the, the the gist of it, if I can paraphrase you, was that bullies don't need to be kind of legislated out of existence. They need to be stood up to, you know, and that, yeah. uh, you know, and that like um, that the 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 grownups aren't really doing kids a favor uh, necessarily by getting involved with things like rules and programs. And you know what I mean? Um like, uh, uh, you know, like you get because like uh, one of the worst things uh, you can do for a kid is claim to be solving a problem that you are actually not, in fact, solving. Yeah, I mean, that's really the the bug. I, I mean, when it's clear that when things go over a certain line, you want there to be some sort of official response. Right. And it's kind of negligent for there not to be. Right. But at the same time, the real problem is if you say that oh if you go tell the teacher the teacher's going to be able to do something and the teacher doesn't do anything that really damages at least from my perspective again i'm not trained in all this stuff i just i you know i dealt with a lot of harassment as a kid and i think we all have at one one degree or another uh, for me it was mostly around my hair uh, my curly hair it took a lot of heat for that i got shoved around quite a bit um and uh yeah and it's it's just like if they say that they're fixing it and they tell everybody else that they're fixing it and they're not fixing it like what lesson does that teach you about authority in the future and legality it's a lot like um you know like like problems with drug legalization and stuff where like people become criminals and and file sharing right where it's like people are criminals just from doing things that they do every day that they don't really see as hurting anybody and the 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 matchup between the what the authority says is being done with regards to law and the way that people actually live, like diminishes people's trust in the authority and the the support that the authority has, right? right. Which is important to the authority being effective in the first place. So even if you are authoritarian, and even if you do think that the solution to bullying involves intervention from the school, you got to be really careful about applying it really liberally in like a PR way, right? Without because I, I honestly don't think that most adults even they all we all forget like we don't we forget and we don't really understand just how nasty these kids are to each other especially young boys like i mean and then that i think i think that there has been a lot of light shed on in recent years about how nasty young girls are to each other right um but i don't think that there's a, a realization at all about how young boys act towards each other because i think that it's it's uh it's not suitable for audiences. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's not uh, the kind of things that happen. Yeah, it'll get you, it'll get you an NC 17 rating or I guess an R rating in this case, but yeah. Oh yeah, totally. I mean like, you know, when I was a, a boy scout and the older scouts were like whipping us and like, and stuff like that. I mean, that's not a good situation. No, it's not. Um, but, but like also there's a, there's like a, there's, a, there's honestly there's a sexuality to it and there's like a sexual aspect to it like like boys who seem prepubescent who are going through social interactions that are like at least motivated to live to a small degree by like homoerotic abuse you know what i mean sure. it's kind of a big thing i mean that if you read the chocolate war or anything like that you know like it's kind of a standard standard trope right that like that the these the men are kind of like their boys are like acting out their anxieties around growing up on each other and there's kind of like the nasty edge that sort of thing like i'm not confident that we're ready to put that on the front page and say that the police are going to handle it you know what i mean like that like the police are going to go into the, the like the area where the kids are all you know talking about what they're going to do to their teachers Right, like in, in in that kind of context, and like yeah. break it up. So you know, Pete, just, just move uh, it somewhere else. Yep. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump here now that I've you know caught up to the podcast and I'm not 
thinking about the Federalist Papers or Halloween anymore. Um, yeah. So it's funny that you brought up the police in this context, because that's kind of where I was going to go, but in a very different kind of way, which was that, um, you know, you don't, say that that sort of, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, don't stand so close to me kind of way. Oh yeah, <laughs> Roxanne. Um, no, so you you mentioned that the sort of uh, you know boy on boy violence, for lack of a better word, is yeah. something that the is not I'm not really personally familiar with. To be fair, like I'm not as familiar with personally like other kinds of interchild violence. But anyway, continue. Sure, you'd say so. So boy on boy violence is something that you know we don't want to talk about, whereas girl on girl violence is something we do talk about. But what? Where my mind kept going in this conversation is that, you know, we, bullying is this problem and, you know, we there are things that we we could be doing about it, but we aren't doing as a society, that sort of thing. And uh, what, what, what my mind kept coming to is what happens to bullies when they grow up? And this might be a sort of a controversial or uh, overreaching statement, but a lot of them become police officers. Um, they go that- into positions of authority where uh, they act enact uh, they continue to enact out the same sort of, uh, you know, insecurity and reacting to that insecurity. Sure, yeah, I mean, without, without enforcement, saying that. By, by, you know, becoming uh, the sort of the errant police officer that you that you hear about who uh, goes on power trips and abuses his power I mean, and throws minorities into jail. Even without saying, I mean, even without saying that, like, you know, I, I don't think you're saying that, like, all police officers are, are you know, bullies or sort of unreconstructed yeah. bullies I mean, or that, you know, all law enforcement are sort of, but, but it does, uh, you know, if you do have that in your personality, that job does provide you a, an arena to, uh, you know, to, to act out that. I mean, that kind I, of let, let, me, I, let me ask I you, know. For, I know this is a good story and I, and I'm, and I want to ask, do you guys know people that you grew up with who were bullies in like middle school and elementary school who went on to become police officers? Because in my experience, I have friends who I went to school with and of the ones who became police officers, none of them were bullies. In fact, they were largely fairly passive. Like, and, and the police officer thing for them was more about like legitimizing themselves as authority figures. If I were to come up with a narrative for it, it's like, you know, claiming their manhood. Right. Like, I don't know a lot of bully. I don't personally. I don't know a lot of people who became police officers, soldiers, anything like that, who are violent people. Um, I know a lot of people who became lawyers, <laughs> but like, I mean, I know a lot of people who became lawyers from all walks of life. You know, I'm kind of biased in that way. Um, uh, I don't just know, hang out with lawyers because all your friends are lawyers. And that's not entirely true. I have some good friends who are lawyers. But uh, the point the point is, like, I want to match this story up with your own experience. Like, did you when you were growing up have bullies in your school who went on to become police officers? So I, I can't track something that specifically. No, unfortunately, um, I, you don't go to your reunions. <laughs> I'm not even on the Facebooks, so I don't I don't even know. Um, but uh, but, you know, I don't know. Um, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting question. I mean, it gets away from the point of the movie. But I mean, it also is kind of a, is a, if it is true, then it's a big problem because you're asking the people who had been the bullies to fix the problem of the current bullies, right? Well, to like, yeah, I mean, I'll, right. Yeah. I'll bet that that's what Mark was. I'll, I'll bet yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what yeah, Mark yeah. was driving at. Right, 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 right. I mean, I don't know. I, I tend to. I think that a lot of our hysteria around pol- police these days is like not entirely deserved for most police departments. Um, but again, like that's a huge question, right? Like, and obviously there are lots of incidences of people abusing things, and that's really bad. Um, but it is an interesting question um, about children and and the who should be the person who should be telling these children how to act. I mean, is this a situation where you're supposed to set up a deterrent to the kid? I love how we're like very far off the topic of the movie, but it seems like the movie – this is a movie that doesn't even really make – this. in fact, it's the opposite of it. It's not just a movie that doesn't make an effort to be a piece of popular culture. This is a movie that sort of, that sort of takes this thing 
right? And, and like says, this thing is popular culture. This thing that is happening, right, is something that you should all be concerned with. It should be like, – there should be people on TMZ talking about bullying as a thing, which there are. You know, like it should be a thing that celebrities care about and people care about this stuff that is happening. Well, not it, like, yeah, I mean and, and it is and I think there's a big – you know, I think there's a big sort of – Public, uh, for want of a better word, like public health campaign, uh, you know, around around the movie, or at least the movie is dovetailing with a public health campaign that already exists. Right, and I have lots of friends who also do anti-bullying work, uh, and like actors who perform in anti-bullying shows, which is one way of doing it. Right, is like you model behavior that you feel like is going to be better. You model appropriate responses from people, and you sort of give them a different way of acting. Right. Um, but that, that's the big question is how do you get them to not do it? Do you just deter them? Do you're like, well, if you bully, we're going to tase you. Well, right. And this, like, you know, like, like this, this whole thing, this whole thing, um, uh, the, the movie's answer to me seems to be like someone, someone ought to do so. Like, you know, yeah. why isn't the assistant principal stepping in and like stopping this? And yeah, I mean, I, you know, that's what adults are for around kids. When things get to a certain level around kids, you have to, you know, you have to, um, uh, you know, intervene, you know, like that's, that's why they're kids and you're adults. You have, you know, better internal controls than the, than the kids have. That's why they're kids. Um, but, but like you see the kind of just the inept way that these things are handled. Like, you yeah. know, now, now you two, you two shake hands, promise you're not going to fight anymore. You know what I mean? And it becomes like, it becomes this sort of, uh, this lie, you know, this sort of background lie that like, okay, we're going to perform this handshaking ritual and you, you know, neither of us nor the assistant principal actually believes that it's, uh, you know, um, <laughs> that this is either effective or that any of us really is telling the truth. And, and you know, you're just going to go back to like wailing on me behind the, uh, you know, equipment locker, right? Yeah. Another thing they do is they take away recesses and playtimes in response to this problem and that makes... That hurts the learning experience for a lot of kids, too, because they need those breaks. They need it for their attention spans. They need the social time. I mean, it's, it's interesting. It it's, it's cl- clearly seems to me a problem that is not going to yield to a tough-on-crime kind of solution. Like, juking the stats on bullying seems particularly hilarious from like a perspective of like a wire watcher, right? Where it's like – and, of course, the wire addresses all this stuff in like a much more serious terms um, of like you know actual fatal violence that is happening to children. Um, which I think we're kind of not really talking about as much, but uh... wait. So can you catch me, catch me up here? So it was one of the the plot points, not plot points. One of the elements of the bully movie that what schools are incentivized to underreport instances of bullying. Is that what ju- juking the stats? Is that what you're referring to? Yeah. Well, well no, what, that, that, I mean, not not necessarily underreport instances, but no one wants to sort of no one wants to admit that. Um, uh, no one wants to admit that it's a pro- it's a specific problem for them. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, I mean, the, what? I, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh. I mean, what, oh, I was, so- what I was saying, the comparison I was drawing was that people want a response now. They want a fix now, when really it's a long, hard slog of a problem that requires like a great deal of like behavior modeling and education for these kids. And these kids have to learn to socialize, and that's not something that they do in like a week. So what you do is you like figure out ways of manipulating the reports to make it look like you actually helped, whereas everybody else somehow failed. Right, like it's it's the Carcetti strategy. But anyway, I interrupted you. I, no, I could I could make another parallel to the to police departments about juking, juking statistics. Um, but I think with, let's not go down that rabbit hole well, again. You, you have it in for law enforcement today, Mark. <laughs> well, okay. So just one last thing, and I, I promise I'll drop it. It's the context, which is I live in New York City, and the NYPD has gotten a lot of bad press recently for doing all sorts of questionable things. 
like juking statistics and having quotas for pat downs of minorities and these terrible spying missions on like Muslim student whitewater rafting trips and all those other things. Not the topic of our of our podcast. So let me bring it back to pop culture. Uh, and have, have you guys talked about this before I arrived about other depictions of bullying in pop culture? Since Pete was talking about how this movie is bringing bullying into pop culture. Um, you know, that's just stereotypical, you know, give me your lunch money, kid, pow. And obviously, you know, the Simpsons, uh, what, Nelson is his name? The <laughs> kid. Yeah. Well, there's the George McFly solution, right? Which is that you punch him once and then he like wilts, right? And he never You go back in time again. to punch him. That's what yeah, it is. <laughs> that's what you have to do. Um, and then, I mean, what else is there in terms of popular? Well, there was Bully the video game, right? Where you got to like go around the boarding school and kind of fight back against all the bullies that were coming after you. Uh, that was like the, by Rockstar, the Grand Theft Auto people. Um, which was controversial at the time, if I recall. Yeah, I mean, bullies are – here's, here's something that doesn't mesh up with my personal experience is that in pop culture, bullies are overwhelmingly portrayed as stupid, right? As either as – either, it's like, oh, they're using their physicality to make up for some sort of other shortcoming or like they, they clearly have some sort of like vulnerability that's like causing them to do this or this is a case of like the smart person is persecuted, Right, which is kind of like almost like a uh, sort of Nietzschean idea of like you know this this lowly person has no right to check my glory, right? And like, and I know the Nietzsche fans are going to be all up in arms about my gross misinterpretation, but whatever. It's like um, this idea that like oh the the alpha betas right versus the nerds. And I mean, in my experience, bullies aren't necessarily stupid. Like they're often smart. They're often good at school. Like they just yell at people and punch them you know what i mean and like i'm trying to think of good perceptions uh for shows although i guess they do have bullies who are like sort of golden boys who are very smart and like very well liked that's another trope that's like the cobra kai bully right is like the um so you could make a taxonomy right you could be like there are nelsons there are like cobra kais there are biffs Right, like Nelson is just like a, an annoying, like smelly person, right? Like he just is like on the fringe, and he like causes problems occasionally, but he's never really a serious threat. And there's Biff, who like runs a gang, but is an idiot and is like really strong. Also, also attempts to rape uh, Marty's mom. Stuff yeah, yeah. Well, this is true, but this is also, I think, not. I mean, I think the big shocker out of that is just that it wasn't a big deal in the movie when the movie came out. Right, right. Like it's like that to me is the big, the big. I mean, when I directed the Back to the Future improv show uh, that I did like last year, one of the things I said is like we're not going to address the rape thing, and the reason we're not going to address mm-hmm. it is that for Back to the Future, it was normal, and it's not normal anymore. And also, so, rape gonna, isn't really funny <laughs> in any context. No. No, but it was in the mid '80s. Like, I mean, we forget how comfortable people were with the abuse of women. You know, like, I mean, in Revenge of the Nerds and in like uh, sixteen was it? Is it sixteen candles or Pretty in Pink, where the girl gets raped in the car and she's really grateful for it? Um, I mean, it's it's easy to forget how much things have changed. Yeah, and again, I, 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 Revenge of the Nerds. There's that internet. There's that sort of internet, well-known internet meme where you know you you like you just count the instances of like uh, you know crimes of of various kinds of assault in revenge of the nerds right yeah 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 and those people were bullying back right but that was also college so that doesn't really i feel like once you're in college it's not really fair to call it bullying anymore i mean for me bullying is something that happens to younger people right. like high school is like the end of bullying yeah because at that point things get serious and you can actually get in serious fights right like and like bullying to me i don't know maybe this is I mean, this is semantics but it seems to me to speak to like a younger a younger crowd Right, um, yeah, it's you're still under the it, it, bullying requires that everyone still be subject to the grown-ups, right? Yeah. yeah. 
Although I was pretty lucky in my high school, we didn't really have a big bullying problem while I was there. Part of the reason was that we had an open campus. So if people had a free period or a study hall and they didn't want to use it, you could like go into town. You didn't have to hang around. And that's, I think, one of the big factors with, with bullying is like territory, right? Like people fighting for territory in crowded spaces sure. um, and people not having an option just to walk away because that's the solution in real life. Right, when most of the time, when somebody tries to bully you in real life, you just don't deal with them anymore. You just leave them behind, and they're, they'll you move, you move to Brooklyn because <laughs> you can't handle Manhattan. Is that what it's like? Because people push you around. Yes, oh, because man. Brooklyn is the precious bro. Yeah, exactly. there the people with beards are. It's soft and well conditioned. And uh, artis- art- artisanal pencil sharpening as well. We have that in our bureau. Yeah, nice, nice. Yeah. This is the second appearance of artisanal on the podcast. You handmade, missed the first one. Handmade right. with love in Brooklyn. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Bully. It's a shame that Teddy Roosevelt's saying hasn't caught back on in this sort of day of hipster ridiculous mustaches. <laughs> bully. But I guess it's because of bully. Maybe the bullying, maybe the anti-bullying people. And, you know, I should have brought on one of my friends who does anti-bullying to do this podcast with us and talk about it because I have a couple. And they could talk about the way that they model the behavior for people. And kids are legitimately shocked when they're confronted with the consequences of their actions, I think. Most of the time, because I think that a lot of the time when a kid is bullying another kid, it's – you know what I'd love to see? Here's a movie I'd love to see. Don't make a movie about the kid being bullied. Show me a movie about the bully. Like follow the bully around as he's like beating up other kids. Well, right. and, like, that, that was yeah. another I, – I thought that was an oversight in this, in this film. Yeah. I mean as a piece of art. I mean you, even as a document, you know, even as mm-hmm. just a social document. It's um, – uh, you know, th- they're not they're not monsters. They are uh, – human human beings also the kids who are beating up the other kids and picking on them and like they got they got sort of made that way somehow you know they got taught that behavior somehow and and uh i mean that's an interesting um that's a more interesting uh thing isn't it that's a more interesting um yeah that's a better story i think although you sort of have to address it in fiction right because you can't stand by with the camera like endorsing this guy's behavior because of the politics. I thought about that. I mean, like at yeah. what point as a filmmaker did these grown-ups who are making these films feel like they, you know, they have to intervene when this poor kid is being beat up. But right. um yeah. And of course, we we have the Hunger Games, which is the big fantasy, like the big like you get to murder the bullies. Right. <laughs> you get to and like and you murder them and it's justified because it's a dystopian nightmare. Um which is I guess an appropriate term for most of the um, yeah, early I guess I guess like uh well, right, yeah, yeah, sure. Under certain under certain economic conditions, you know, uh killing the bullies is justified. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> so unfortunately, and I mean I, we were talking about um earlier possibly hitting some Game of Thrones stuff on this podcast, but no one has answered my request on Twitter. To give us strategies, speaking of beating up bullies and killing them, for like strategy, political strategies for how they would deal with the problems of Westeros. So we have none to critique on the podcast. So that's kind of unfortunate. Yeah. It's kind of looking forward to see if anybody had any vision to maybe fix all the problems that were happening over there. Mm-hmm. I heard you guys oh. did the, the Game of Thrones podcast. I hope it went well. Well, it went, it went very well. I, I, uh, you should listen to it. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I really actually should. had a Game of Thrones uh, something to bring to the table about Game of Thrones. I don't watch oh, yeah? the show. I'm one of those people who neither has HBO nor uh, is you know, savvy enough to actually deal with the torrents and, and download Game of Thrones. Um, but uh, what I wanted to ask you guys is something about the nature of why there are thrones plural in this. Because one of the ads that I saw in New York City as I was walking around today. Um, I think it was actually outside the HBO studio in Midtown. Um, the ad said, uh, Game of Thrones, many kings, 
one throne. Uh-huh. To which I thought, obviously, well, which one is it? Is it thrones <laughs> plural? And is the Game of Thrones mean that they are going after the multiple thrones? Or is there only one? So I guess it seems like <laughs> it, it almost like the expression I feel like the expression Game of Thrones has a certain austerity to it because it feels like it's been translated from another language. Like I think that there's a, huh. there are certain tropes and I'm just reaching on this, but I feel like there are certain tropes or not tropes, but like what's the word for it? Like just like little phrases and patterns and phrases, motifs, things like that, where something that's been translated to another language tends to be translated in a certain way, and that way carries a certain amount of cred. So, like, one of those big things, I think, is the way that the possessive is expressed using the word of as opposed to with an apostrophe, right? Because that's usually a translation of, like, a Latin genitive or something like that. So you would expect games to be what, like, you know, like... The Hunger Games. Like Ludum Thranorum, right, or something like that. It would that would be the Game of Thrones, um, and it would be this thing that would. And maybe the Thrones were plural for a different reason back when it was originally said, but it's been carried over. Game of Thrones doesn't really work as a phrase because it doesn't have because it, it does. It's like because okay. So, so this linguistic expression is one explanation. The other explanation is that it's being put forth in the one scene in which it's discussed as like an institutional hypothetical. Right, like when you like the Game of Thrones is like a human behavior. It is not like a specific political conflict, and it, it basically distinguishes people who do play the Game of Thrones from people who don't play the Game of Thrones. Uh-huh. Um, and those people are like the small folk who basically end up suffering because of all the people who do play the Game of Thrones. Um, and in that case, there are multiple thrones. Now, in the show, there is only one chair that really matters uh-huh. <laughs> right like okay. like there's only one chair that's like prominently featured i mean there is another chair that shows up later but it, none of the chairs have the same cred as this like one chair that everybody wants uh-huh. um so in that sense yeah there's only one throne uh, but there are multiple kings in different locations who all have their own chairs and so don't worry this isn't a situation where the kings are really tired of standing around and their war gets really <laughs> urgent because they need to claim the throne because it's the only place they can sit or otherwise they'll humiliate themselves oh so um, in other words it's not a very long uh, um, study on furniture no, I was really disappointed. There's never a point which music kind stops. Right? It's a scramble and sit down. And at no point, yeah, yeah. no point do they talk about microfiber or any of the other things you're likely to see in furniture. Right, yeah, like, you know, sometimes it's about thrones. They should talk about, you know, got to reupholster it, uh, you know, the, the yeah. artisan, the artisanal uh, carvings that you get, uh, you know, yeah, made yeah. into it. Um, <laughs> let, let me go back to what you said earlier about the linguistic side of things, which I found yeah. really interesting. And I blurted out Hunger Games. It, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. You're talking about Absolutely. it because because uh, he wouldn't say what game of hungers. He also didn't. They also didn't call it the Hunger Game, um, or the game of uh, the game of hunger, right? Yeah, and hunger doesn't really. I mean, hunger does play into it to a certain degree because the kid because having control of supplies is important, but it's not really about hunger, right? Like it's it's about it's about suffering, right? But like hunger is kind of used generically. And I'm sorry, I interrupted you. What were you going right. to say? But, but when you say hunger games, as opposed to game of hungers or, or anything like that, uh, you're, you're, what people you're saying was that something of something has this, this Latinate feel about it, which hunger yeah. games doesn't. No, no. I think like, I think the game of hunger, uh, feels more Latinate than hunger games, which feels like kind of more Germanic, I think. Um, <laughs> I'm guessing. I mean, not, not to an extreme degree, but, uh, you know, I mean, like, you know, hungry man versus man of hunger. Like, if you were, which one of those are you going to buy stew from, right? Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, you know, you, you get that in there with a potato, a couple onions, you got a stew going, is what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Carl. Um, but yeah, but yeah, and I think it also, it, it's not just about them being Latinate or not, um, because the phrases aren't more or less Latinate, but it's like the feeling of it is more or less Latinate. It's not like if you were calling them the Hunger Games versus like the sort of malnutrition games, right, which would be the more Latinate way of saying it. Um, you know, like the games of, of like inadequate food or in, 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 inadequate victuals, right? Like <laughs> nature. So, so yeah, so I think, and I think, but that's a good thing. Hunger Games, I mean, that, that phrase is so powerful. It's almost like you come up with the phrase and then you write the books to try to justify it. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, I know what the Hunger Games are, but like, I, you know, it's almost a more compelling idea than the story that follows. Not really, because the story is pretty compelling, but like, it might very well be. Okay, so then what is the TV show Throne Games about? The TV show Throne Games is like, is like Ace of Cakes. Oh, which is ironic because Ace of Cakes <laughs> uses the genitive because it's not Cake Ace because that would work. Throne Games is, is, Throne Games is clearly like a, a show about like ostentatious furniture and it's like a reality show. Either that or it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. something like Top Gear or even like Brainiac where they're like racing, like they're like trying to develop ultimate chairs. Throne Games. Yeah, this is a, this is a show where they get into depth about the furniture. They talk about the upholstery and yeah, the maintenance yeah. of the furniture. Yes. When you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. When you play the Throne Games, that price tag can be pretty hefty, so you better budget for it. <laughs> you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's a very different perspective, definitely. Um, yeah, can you buy that? Can you buy that throne? <laughs> Look, if you have to ask whether you can afford the throne or not, you can't afford the throne. <laughs> Perhaps. Perhaps. But not this day. Not this day. <laughs> <laughs> you know the throne the enterprise has a throne and yeah. gauron does perch quite dominatingly on it throughout the star trek the next generation the klingon challenge dvd interactive board game yeah oh yeah who can and can't who can and can't sit in the throne like um in the episode cupid in the uh, fourth season star trek the next generation episode cupid uh when vosh uh sits down in the the captain's chair and she actually you know uh, sort of gets all cutesy and like curls her feet up on the captain's chair um you know and then picard walks in and you know is all uh stony and stoic about it you know and he uh he he runs the gamut of emotions from a to b in that show he really does um (laughs) so without remembering the specifics of that show um, there are two characters that come to mind as being least likely to have sat in the throne of the bridge of the Enterprise D. Uh-huh. Uh, and they are uh, Wesley Crusher and Deanna Troy. Wesley Crusher does actually sit. Uh, That's just silly. When, Deanna Troy sits on it too. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, when, she does? When, when he's given his tour of the Enterprise, the first time he comes onto the bridge, he uh, gets to show the captain's chair and gets to sit and then a message comes in and he you know rapidly starts click 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 clicking away on the uh, on the arm the chair arm keyboard and uh then looks up and realizes he's made a grievous social faux pas and then uh, hmm. after deanna troy takes the bridge officer's exam and uh no longer has to wear exploitative uh cat suits <laughs> and can wear a, a starfleet uniform like the rest of them um she actually, you know, takes uh, uh, takes a duty shift in command of the the ship. Like they rotate, like who has the night shift, you know? And uh, so uh, among the the senior staff, uh, bri- bridge officers' exam, huh? That's a nice piece of retconning there. Well done, <laughs> well done. 
<laughs> it is quite a nice throne, um, and the people who get there use fairly more, quite a bit more um, legitimate means. There's not an exam. That would be funny if the Game of Thrones, like you had to like, pass the king's exam to get there. Like it's you mean, like you mean some, the exam of kings, Pete? The exam of kings, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which seems like a euphemism for like you know the 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 scholastic aptitude test, the exam of kings, right? What would the exam of kings be? <laughs> exam of kings would probably be like something you could do to get your off-track betting license or something. When you, <laughs> like, when, you, when you take the exam of kings to win the throne games, you are graded satisfactory or unsatisfactory. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, not, <laughs> it's not quite as dramatic as you win or you die. You know? Exactly. I, this also makes me want to see the movie uh, The Academy of Police, uh, which, is, <laughs> which addresses all of the different subjects we've been talking about on the podcast, specifically because it is NC-17. And scene. We'll be back next week with another Overthinking Podcast. In the meantime, you can email us at podcast at overthinking.com. You can call or text 203-285-6401. That's 203-285-6401. Or you can join the conversation on the show notes um, of the uh, 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 on the in the comments on the show notes. Uh, <laughs> in the notes of comment on the notes of show <laughs> on the blog of Thinking It Too Much. <laughs> on the blog of thinking it over you see exactly thinking it over and overthinking it are, are two very very different websites uh one is about contemplation and the other is about subjecting the popular culture to a level of so garon what do we say to the god of death <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, on Throne Games, I did not come here to make friends. I came here to make chairs.